Welcome back to another episode of sasslife.fm. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I am doing well. Welcome back, Sam. Uh, yes. I'm having a little trouble hearing you there. I am back from MicroConf, and I did so much networking and so much talking that I actually lost my voice. It <laughs> is slowly recovering, but I don't think I'm quite 100% yet, but uh, happy it's back because there's nothing more frustrating than trying to network and talk to people and not being able to speak. It's a little, little frustrating. <laughs> that might be a challenge, but I do want to get into microconf. I'm, I'm super excited to hear about it. I was not there this year and I've, I've never been actually. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear all about it. I missed you there because Castos was one, I think they were considered a sponsor, but it was cool because we could have actually done a, an episode live because they set up a professional studio that anyone could kind of book and record their own podcast. So we could have done it live for MicroConf, maybe next year. Next year, we'll do it. I'm sure our listeners are disappointed. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we get into that whole breakdown of, I'd love to get into what it was like um, and kind of break down the whole events, but uh, why don't you fill us in on what's new with you? Sure. I'll, I'll be quick because yeah, I do want to spend a lot of the time on, on MicroConf. In my world, what's going on off the cuff here, we landed a great big client, which I think I touched on last time about getting a couple proposals out there, two quite large ones. One of them came in, which is great. Yeah, congratulations. Terrifying, you know, yes. so it's kind of the, <laughs> the usual trepidation. But the good news is the way they want to use our services are the way they're meant to be used and have, have been designed. Really careful not to go off into the weeds of special features for the one enterprise customer. That's the pitfall. Sometimes it's like you chase the revenue and then it comes with a whole bunch of strings attached, not necessarily malicious, but like they have special needs and they, they want certain things out of that software that it just can't do today. And then you try to fulfill all that. So that's good to hear that it's a nice alignment and it's going to be a good client. It sounds like. I hope so. Yeah. We were pretty careful to set expectations and make sure that we weren't over promising Good thing. Or yeah, like I said, going off on a tangent or into the weeds for something that isn't really on our roadmap because there's enough things that are and we want to keep keep pushing on those. So that's exciting. But they do have, you know, large amounts of data. And so we're going to be dealing with onboarding as has been a thorn for us all along. Have they uh, boxed up their hard drives and put those in the mail yet, or is that, is that later on? Not, not yet. That'll that'll come. I, I did just get another hard drive today, though. <laughs> that still blows my mind. I get it. I understand it. But it's just like, oh, we're going to just box these up and send you our data through the mail. <laughs> it's become so rote. I end up making the same joke every time, you know, something along the lines of, so it's great to have you on board. I know we're all so excited to speed things up, you know, introduce efficiencies with cloud-based computing but the first thing we're going to need you to do <laughs> that's great and, yeah and in fact i i mean just because they seem to expect it i actually have a selection of hard drives that depending on the customer i will ship to them first so it'll be hey okay here is your eight terabyte hard drive coming in USB-C okay, all right. Uh, wow, so you're like yeah. the, the hard drive whisperer and you help them select. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I am. 
and then being very clear, okay, your data is not safe yet. Do not delete anything. Oh, yeah. Because right? that would be a nightmare. I could see that happening. Like, well, we sent you the data. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been on my mind for a long time to actually put together a formal checklist and you know, mm. sign offs and things like that. And we really should do that just to cover our bases, but, but we haven't yet. So we'll have that data coming in. And we've actually, uh, I think we touched on this last time as well, but we, we've been focused a little bit more on streamlining that data import process because it's gone from being really, really manual to just kind of manual. What's been fun about that is we're actually going to, I think, be able to provide some real value to the customer as part of this process. So we're looking at kind of productizing that a little bit because once we get all their data in, we have to analyze it anyway. Um, uh, you know, their data is okay. structured, but it's loosely structured. And they might have certain inspections that are in totally different formats. And they generally don't know much. You know, this is like, hey, here's 10 years of inspection data, go. And different customers store it in different ways yada yada you know different directory structures etc yeah so yeah. as part of this and, and part of automating this process we're actually able to pull out some really interesting statistics for them you know for example these are the top 10 observation or defect codes you have seen over the last 10 years these are how the observation codes are trending you know this is the area you're spending most of your time does that coincide with the area that has the most trouble all kinds of different things that kind of only come when you take a top-down analysis of a massive data set. I like that because then it, it turns the onboarding process, which everyone dreads. No one, no one likes onboarding in general. I mean, they might be excited for the product, but it just seems like it's a, oh, these are the steps that we have to get here through to get to the fun part. But if there's some value that comes out of that, not only does it lessen the blow, but it, it just immediately sets the relationship up between you and the customer on a really positive note. Yeah, that's what I'm hopeful for too. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I can't wait in the sales process to show a sample of, yeah. so here's the first phase. And actually, you know, this is really neat. Uh, here's what you get out of it. Your professional report that has all this data that's cool. that you can poke at. Partially, it distracts them a little bit, which is nice, <laughs> you know, and so it buys you a little bit of time on the onboarding side. But it also shows that initial value way up front, you know, before they're even in the software, like you've picked the right, you've made the right decision and the right choice. Exactly. So, yeah, so been focusing on that, doing a bunch of cleanup around the site. There's plenty more to go. And there's some deep, dark corners that uh, have not had any <laughs> UI treatment whatsoever. but. We have made a couple of high-level changes that I'm really happy with, you know, things that just really bothered me. To give one example, we had a hard time solving this inspections view. You know, one of our entities, we have assets, which are the things that are inspected, and you view a big table of assets. We have the inspections where you're viewing all of your inspection data, but we had it split into two views. One was the summary view, which would kind of high-level show you, hey, this is the asset that was inspected. This is the number of observations that were recorded about that asset. This is the workflow stage it's in or the process. Think of like metadata. And then we had a details view and the details view would actually show you all of the inspection fields that you were looking at. You know, I guess we always use pipe size as an example. So you'd say, okay, one of the 
table headers is pipe size, and now you can sort it and see your biggest, smallest, whatever. But the reason that we had those two views is because depending on how the particular asset was inspected, the template that was used, different data might have been collected, right? And so if you inspected an, if you inspect an asset one way, you might be recording pipe size. But if you inspect an asset another way, that field might not matter at all, and a different field might come into play, like pipe material. I mean, kind of bad examples, but but the point is that there's all these different ways of inspecting a pipe, and if you try to smush those into one big table, you're going to end up with a bunch of blanks, right? Because the one-way inspector is going to have all those columns populated, and the other will all be blank, and vice versa. So the summary view allows you to combine different inspection types into one view. Kind of useful, but it never felt natural. Right. And you would always land on the summary view as kind of the first view, and then you'd ha- it, people would always go to the details page because that's what they wanted to see. Anyway, long story short, we ended up kind of subtle, but really works well, elevating the place where you pick your particular system, your grouping of assets, your asset type, and your template type when relevant, your inspection template type, to the very top level of the site. And what that allowed us to do is actually have it span across all these different entities, ranging from assets, inspections, and then we have projects and deliverables. By setting those parameters up top, they then, before it was kind of below the title, they persist across the different sections of the site that you're on and it makes sense that they would it's it's hard to describe a ux pattern here on a, a podcast but <laughs> yeah. but basically that's what we did and it was it was really nice it was really elegant and it allowed us to in a natural way get rid of the summary and details tab because the summary is the view you go to if you have all systems or all templates selected whereas if you have something specific selected at that top level then you get the details view and that's what you would—that's what you would expect to happen. It was just hard to get there. Yeah, what what I'm hearing is you're just you're learning from how your customers use the platform and just kind of getting more experience with them. Where naturally a summary slash detail setup is how most you know people think about. Oh, I'm going to build those two two views because that's how people are going to use it. But then when you start observing how do they actually use it and how they're actually interacting with it that summary that might not have much value at all, even though you assumed that it's a new way of presenting information. It's not really how people think about their stuff. And so just kind of getting those learnings and incorporating them in, that sounds like progress. That's great. That is a much more concise way to say it. (laughs) That's exactly what it is and why it's fun and how it might be applicable to others listening without all those details. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Yeah. So that's been fun. And then I guess the last thing I'll touch on just in terms of kind of fun problems that we're trying to solve is we're working on our deliverables section. So the deliverable is particularly relevant to a contractor who is working with a municipality, the asset owner, that does not use our system. You know, they still expect to get the data. So the contractor can use our stuff to prepare the data and then they have to hand it off used to be via thumb drive. Now it's nice because they can send a Dropbox style link. Problem is we need to find a good way to discourage customers from downloading the data too many times because things get kind of passed around, but our big cost is bandwidth. 
Yeah. So we're just eating it right now and it hasn't been terrible, but there's a lot of room for improvement and we're trying to figure out how to make those, how to modify behavior without upsetting customers or making their life worse. Yeah. Not to get too deep into this, but do you, for that scenario where basically you have someone generating files or deliverable and sending it to someone that's not using your software, do you view that as a potential for customer expansion in the sense of like a virality loop a little bit in, in that exposes your platform to someone that's not familiar with it? And potentially those individuals that receive those deliverables might be interested, especially if they're done much better than what they're getting from other companies. And that could be a really nice source of at least awareness of the brand. So that you, yeah, that is exactly where we want to go with it. And the roadmap that we are currently working on, actually, rather than just sending a link with a big zip file that they can download, you know, that's completely analogous to this thumb drive. It just is just online. We're actually working on building out a little portal so the customer can make it look nice. And then we're going to give the end customer, the recipient of the data, access to our viewer, you know, so they can preview the data and they can start to see what our platform is all about, which serves two purposes. One is the virality loop. And the other is in theory, because they can see the data first, they can accept it or reject it right there rather than downloading it. Right. Yeah, so it gives them a little bit interactivity. That's great. So one one way to think about this, I know you're you're worried about the networking costs or the download costs, but if you're able to see that that theory of virality leads to new customers, and if that's effective, you might switch your thinking to be like, that's not so much infrastructure cost, but that's just part of my marketing budget. Is those downloads lead to marketing, which leads to new customers? And when you frame it like that, if it leads to a new customer, you care a little bit less about how how expensive it is, depending on what the numbers are. I don't know what the numbers are. <laughs> maybe maybe they they're too big that that doesn't even matter. But uh, but that's just a, another way to think. As long as that 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 connection is there, that it actually leads to new customers. Gonna have to change a few things in my summit model. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Nice. Yeah, it's early days on this. We have not implemented anything. We're going down the same path that I've. Still been really enjoying working with uh, our UX expert and plotting it all out in, in Figma along with just plain whiteboarding. So That's great. I, I'm really excited to see how that comes together because it can really just make the process easier, not only for your direct clients, but for those that they're connecting with and so or sending those deliverables to and just making that process overall. Then you become known as like the easy software to work with in the industry. And that just goes a long way. It would. The hardest thing is it's so fun to work on this stuff, but I want it all now, you know, yeah. and, it, and there's such a balance between, <laughs> okay, I'm not telling our customers about this at all because I don't want to promise something. It's not going to be out yet. Uh, I don't have a timeline on it, which is always the next question, but it is a lot of fun. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So do you want to give a quick business update as well? And then let's really hear from microconf or do you want to just jump into microconf? Honestly, my, my whole couple of weeks have been, we're, we're prepping for the conference, getting stuff out of the way. So let's just, let's just dive into the the conference. I think that'd be great. Okay. Give us a high level. I've, I've never been to microconf. I've always wanted to go uh, yeah. since I discovered them. So what what's it like? This year was up in Minneapolis. And so it was a, 
I think it's technically a three-day conference, but basically it starts with a kind of a mixer uh, the night before the microconf sponsors, but it's basically two solid days of talks and networking and just hanging out with other founders that are typically solo founders or small teams. There are people that are in this group that have raised funds, but typically most of the people that are attracted to microconf have that bootstrapper mentality. So if they've raised funds, they still, they're not going that venture track, which is growth at all costs, spend, 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 someday think about profits, maybe. Everyone there really has this mentality of we're building solid businesses that generate revenue that are real. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, that's really the way that I describe it. And which is shockingly rare in the software world. You know, it's just, it's, it's a different way to think about things, even though that's how I think about most businesses. The whole point is to, you know, have a successful business. So, so really it just comes down to, there, there are a lot of solo founders, there are a lot of solopreneurs. There's a lot of great individuals that just have this same mentality, the same worldview. And the talks are astounding. And I'll, I'll dive into at least one of them today. But they, they really give either new ways to think about things from a strategy perspective or really great tactics uh, that you can employ in your business. But it's also just that that networking effect. And so, I mean, just to give you an example, there were so many people that I know either through Twitter or listening to podcasts that I've never had the opportunity to meet in person. And just for a little bit of context, so because of COVID, this is the first microconf growth. They have a couple different variations of their program, but uh, like they have lo local ones, but this is the big one. And so the last time they had the big event like this was 2019. And so it's been three years since this big community has come together. And I want to say that there were, what did they say, around 250 people, uh, or it was either tickets sold or people there. And I, I, don't, I don't remember which, but it's a fairly sizable group. But to give you an idea, so like Derek and Ben from Art of Podcast were there, Jordan and Brian. Art of Product, right? Sorry, yeah, Art of Product. <laughs> yeah, so Derek and Ben from Art of Product. Jordan and Brian from Bootstrap Web were there. Craig from Casto. So he kind of led the charge with the, the booth that I mentioned. And he's also with his own uh, rogue startups. And so it was funny because I, I, I had never met, I, I'd known Brian for a while, but everyone else I, I was meeting for the first time. It was a very lopsided conversation in the sense like I'd go up and be like, hey, Derek, you don't know me, but I've been listening to your thing for a long time. So I know a lot about you. <laughs> so it's just, I always try to like preface that and be like, it might sound like I'm stalking you, but I'm just coming from the podcast. So, but it was, but they were all great. Yeah. They were all fantastic yeah. to meet and talk to. And uh, it was kind of cool to to put a, an actual face and, and see how tall everyone is. <laughs> because that's oh, that's always, funny. I guess, it, yeah, you've just got headshots. <laughs> you just got headshots. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to, to see the, the heights. And I don't know, you just, when you hear that voice, you kind of have a, you envision how they, how they look or how they act. And to see them in real life is, is pretty fun. So, so that was great. The hardest thing I've always had with conferences is I, I just get a little introverted. I don't like to just walk up to people do they do anything at microconf to facilitate it or would you recommend just hey make some make some contacts ahead of time and 
You can do that. So this is the only only the second microconf that I've attended. And you can definitely tell those that have been there in that community much longer because they might have like special times kind of set up with their core group and they kind of prearrange that. But honestly, everyone there is so open and so wanting to have networking. Typically what I do is I just see a semicircle of people just standing around talking whatever and you just walk up and at least someone's going to be like, hey, I'm so-and-so. What's your name? Tell me about your business. And we're all there to kind of connect and we're all there to talk about our businesses. So it's just a really natural thing to say, tell me about your business. What's your big problem right now? And that just generally leads into a 10-minute conversation or so. And then depending on how well you connect, uh, you know, you might connect on Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, and continue the conversation after that. So it's just, it's, um, everyone's really welcoming there. So I guess the really neat thing is that we're all working on similar things in terms of scale, approach to lifestyle, everything like that, but we're not necessarily, and in most cases, not at all trying to sell one another anything. I no. mean, it really is just the same reason we have this podcast. And I love hearing about what you're up to with, with your business, because that's just what I'm into. I guess it's just a bigger, bigger scale of that. I mean, I remember when I first stumbled on the microconf community and I hadn't known anything about it before. And it was like, oh my gosh, there's a bunch of people who are just like me doing just what I'm doing. I've been doing it in the dark for so long. Absolutely. And, and you start getting into that, that shorthand and you're talking about different metrics and different things and people just know what you're talking about. You know, and so it's it's super great where, you know, your your friends or your spouse, they don't really know what you do necessarily or the 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 deep details of, you know, marketing strategy or your your ratios or things like that. This group does. And so just that fact of being able to walk up and just start talking numbers and start talking concepts. And you're absolutely right, going back to no one's there to really sell. Sometimes there might be some sort of partnership thing that kind of comes out of this or has roots in something like this, but that's not really anyone's objective. It really is just to kind of meet people, share, share challenges, share tactics that they're running into, get new ideas. I mean, so I I view this as kind of like two or three days of just a fire hose of information coming at you, either through the talks or through random encounters with other founders and just things that you're talking about. And so it's just constantly writing the biggest challenge for me is keeping it all in my head until the point where I can like dump it out on a piece of paper, go back to it and and really focus on a lot of those things that I want to try and a lot of those tactics that I want to try after the conference. So structurally, it's kind of networking mixer event first night, yeah. two days of talks and hallway time, I guess. Yeah. So the the talks are are spread out really nicely. I think they have a really good cadence where I think at most like the big stretches, you might be listening to like a two hour block of talks, but then there's a good number of breaks or they might throw in a, like a mini activity or lunch happens, things like that. So it, you never feel, it doesn't feel like, like you're in a classroom, I wouldn't say. So is there a single track of talks or are there breakout rooms? For the most part, it's single track. I think this year was the first time that they tried kind of a breakout session concept. And that was only one, there was one breakout session with, I think, five, maybe six different topics that you could choose from. And that was the only time that everyone kind of split up. And then for the most part, it's main one track. 
talks. Tell me about the activities. What you said there's activities. Yeah. Then? So, so they had on the second day, they had kind of a choose your own adventure type of thing. And I took the, the easy choice, which was, you know, go to some breweries <laughs> and, <laughs> and hang out. So that was pretty great. But one in, in after seeing some of the videos, it was a smaller group, but I, I kind of regret not doing it, but they, so I didn't know this, but Minneapolis is well known for their circus community. So just like uh, you certainly did not know that I either. didn't. Yeah. Just like Montreal kind of has that following or New York city, Minneapolis is a big circus community. So they actually Wait, had New York city. I think New York city circus has community as well. Oh, well, they have like some, <laughs> it's a little bit. I, I, that's not, what I was not, told. Not what I know New York for is all I'm <laughs> well, saying. Well, no, but I, it, it's, it's a part of it in the sense that they were talking about. So anyway, they, one of the, one of the activities was learn trapeze. So they literally took people to a trapeze wow. place and they, we saw a video of it later of like, they were literally doing the trapeze and transferring like with the hands and swinging all in one day. Like it was wow. crazy and super that cool. That sounds really fun and slightly terrifying. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which but, is, I guess, everything you'd want out of a networking uh, yeah. activity. So the, the, I think they, it was limited. It was like 10 or 12 people. So it was a really small group that uh -huh. got into that, but they all came back and like, it was the coolest thing ever. But uh, yeah, someone was telling me that Minneapolis has three trapeze places that you can go and learn trapeze or do trapeze and New York city only has two. So that's, that's where they were kind of doing the comparison. So interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fun. So, so that was pretty cool. But I think they also had uh ax throwing was another activity continue, you know, you could stay and work as well. Like co-working was another activity. Improv group, I think was another one that they had. So okay. a wide variety of stuff that they, they had for that breakout session, which was nice. Well, that's fun. Okay. Yeah. And so then the schedule's pretty set. So you're going to be doing these things and then kind of going off to an activity, coming back. How many talks were there, do you think? Oh, just roughly. See. Yeah, I think over the two days, maybe eight, six to eight. So again, it's, I think well, they well, I guess, What were the hours? I mean, did it start started first thing and go like 10 to four, okay. 10 to four during the day. And then they had usually either a happy hour after the conferences. So again, they really build in a lot of the networking is built in. So either they have a happy hour or they, the last night they did a kind of excursion to a really funky, fun bar with like uh, old school video games. And just, uh, they just, again, they're just kind of building in that networking aspect into it. Very cool. Yeah. So Let's get into the talks then. Yeah. Uh, did any particularly stick out? I'm sure they were all great, but any any real favorites? There were there were a lot, but uh, April Dunford was there, and April is always a fantastic speaker. So I've never heard her speak, but love her book. Yeah. So for, again, for those of you who don't know April, she's the author of Obviously Awesome. I would highly recommend the book. It talks about how to think about your positioning. So not just pure marketing, but just how to talk about your business and how to position it within the market. And she just, you know, she, I think she was talk number two and she just hit it out of the park as always. And yeah, so I'll break her down, down her talk. I won't do it justice at all, but uh, I can kind of give you the high level overview, but. And true Will these April, talks be posted online at all? Or is this just, if you weren't there, you missed it? No, they, they do eventually. So I, I believe through the MicroConf YouTube channel, they will post talks eventually if you 
I don't know the full details, but I know they're open to the public, I think like six months after the conference. So there's a, there's a little bit of a lag there. There might be ways to purchase them to get them right away. But I know they mentioned that MicroConf Europe, which happened about six months ago, all of those talks that happened at MicroConf Europe will be publicly available for free coming up here shortly, I believe. So, so yes, they eventually become viewable, which is great. So in, in true April fashion, she was talking about, she basically flipped this whole concept on its head, uh, where basically she started talking about how we all know that selling B2B software, SaaS software is hard, but she flipped it on its head and, th- and put you in the perspective of the user and that the fact that buying B2B software is just as hard, if not harder mainly because if you put yourself in the shoes of the people that are buying, it might not be necessarily be the decision maker. It's just someone on the team that was asked, hey, go research CRMs or go research this. And they're thrown into this industry or this, you know, tons of different options and Googling and researching, and there's just too many options out there. And so she just kind of walked through how it can be so difficult for a company to come to a decision. And one of the stats that really blew me away- that is so true. I'm thinking about when I'm evaluating things. I am still evaluating help desk software. Oh, I'm evaluating yes. it for months. I, yes. I hate our current provider, but I can't make a decision, so I'm, I'm stuck with it. But I, it has never occurred to me that, oh, maybe other people have a hard time buying my software for the same reason. Right, right. And, and it might not necessarily be your software in particular, but it's just the, the idea of buying software is hard. And it's the trying to evaluate each individual provider and balancing it with your needs. And then they're throwing terms at you and features that you're not really sure if you're going to use or if you understand. And ultimately, one of the stats that she gave, which blew me away, is 40% of B2B sales, that purchasing decision ends in no decision. So these, these businesses are actively looking for software, similar to you with the help desk software. And they say, we're going to buy some new, new software. And 40% of the time, they end up doing nothing, which is just shocking oh, to me. Yeah. That is kind of shocking. I mean, I, I guess I, I believe it. That, that's a very believable number when you think about it. Well, and they, then they just go back to either the current software they're using. They just go back to the status quo because it's so much easier than going through the Right. Slog. It has to be so much meaningfully better to make the change. Change is hard. There's momentum. Uh, right. Yeah. You know what and, you've got. And not only that, but you have to, if you, if that change, the, the change itself is hard, but if you're not even conveying the value that they're going to get once they make that change, then you're just like, oh, this is way too much. We're just not going to do this. Okay. So that makes sense. I believe the problem. Did she, did she give a she, solution for all of us well, selling software? She, she illustrated it in, in a really interesting story that she told in, in the journey. Was, basically, the story was called. April buys a toilet. And so she, <laughs> she was going through a home renovation and her contractor basically said, Hey, you need a new toilet. You got to buy th- this one's it's 20, 30 years old, whatever you need a new one. And she's like, okay. And so she goes down to the toilet depot or wherever one goes. And she's like, I need help buying a toilet. And the salesman's like, great, I can help you. Do you want, you know, do you want dual flush? Do you want single flush? Do you want flap? Do you want flapless? And starts asking all these questions. She's like, I don't know. I just, I just need a toilet. And he's like, well, you know, we have these over here that are cheap and these that are here that are expensive. What's the difference? Ah, They're all the same. It's whatever personal preference. And so she just found herself overwhelmed with features and stats and new terminology that 
didn't really apply to her daily life. You know, and this is coming from perspective of someone that is familiar with a toilet, that uses right. a toilet. And think about that from a perspective of a buyer of your software. They might not use that type of software and they are definitely not familiar with your software. <laughs> and she had a hard time purchasing that product uh, just because there were hundreds and hundreds of choices with all these different variations. And it becomes super difficult to kind of wade through all that stuff to the point where it's just exhausting and you give up. And she actually told the story. She went back to the contract. She's like, can't we just use the same one? He's like, no, you, you really need to buy a new one. And so finally she came to, I think it was her third place. And she came across a salesman who really cut through the noise and made things simple. Didn't talk about features, didn't talk about the differences between the toilets themselves really started asking good quality questions to narrow down that list. So the first one was, is the toilet going to be a place that it's used frequently? And she's like, yes, it is. It's an everyday kind of place. We expect to use it every day. And so he's like, okay, great. We can eliminate all of these cheap ones. The reason they're cheap is they use less quality parts. Nothing wrong with that. They're just designed to be used infrequently. So if you are putting that into a place that's used less frequently, these are great and they're perfect. And since you're using an everyday toilet, we're going to have to focus on this price range and above. It's like, okay, we've eliminated half. Then he's like, do you care about fashion? Because there's colored toilets, gold-plated toilets, this, that. And he's like, no, I don't care about that. I just want regular, basic, that's fine. It's like, okay, we can get rid of all these. And then the final question was, does your bathroom have enough space to use kind of a I guess a more traditional toilet, or is it compact where you'd have to put the bowl within the wall itself? And she's like, I got my plans right here. And she pulls them out. He looks at the plans like, okay, this actually looks, you have plenty of space. There's no reason to mess with that. You could put, you know, do that, that style of toilet. But then if there's any problem, you got to break open the drywall. So you might as well just have the tank out there like a traditional toilet. It's like, okay. So after all of that, of kind of going through, here's how you're going to use the toilet. They got down to two different models. And basically, there was a $100 difference between the two. And she's like, okay, we're down to two. What should, which one of these should I, should I go with? And he's like, honestly, at this point, spend the extra hundred bucks, gave a few reasons why. And she's like, sold, done, super easy. And so the salesman is really acting as a guide through the whole process didn't talk about flow rates, didn't talk about features, didn't talk about any of the stuff that all the other salespeople and review sites were talking about. It was just came down to how are you going to use it? What's the main purpose? And let's just try to find something that fits your needs. Huh. That makes a lot of sense. Again, how does it, how does it apply to our business? You know, yeah, what, no, what can great. we do? So the main takeaway, the, the main takeaway that I got away from it is one of the things that I'm going to start writing and working on is a piece of content, which is a buyer's guide to the industry. So we're in the text messaging space. And instead of focusing on, here's all the benefits that reply to buy that specific feature that text retailer offers has, I'm going to put together a guide that says, here's how you evaluate text messaging software in general um, for your business. You know, are you just using text messaging to send notifications or an upcoming appointment, or like your package is delivered, or it's been shipped. If that's all you need, then these types of software or these types of platforms that offer X features, they're probably a better fit for you. If you so need you'll that, actually steer folks away. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to necessarily 
name names of different competitors, but it's more of like questions to ask. I, I I'm still working on that and where to go, but, but ultimately she also made the point of like, your software is going to do two, three, maybe four things really, really well. And those X number of things are going to fit a certain number of customers really, really, really well. Focus on that connection and don't worry about trying to be all things to all people. Kind of like we were talking about at the beginning, don't try to become a Frankenstein of features in order to just accommodate these enterprise customers as they come along. Really focus on the things that you do well and realize that some of those customers, they're, they're not going to be a good fit. And so if they go through the demo, if they go through the product tour and you just realize this just isn't what they're looking for, give them recommendations on where to go. And um, so, yeah, whether that actually so you're going to build out content to basically yeah. guide these customers. Yeah. Yeah. At least to, to the starting points. And so, and that can be really helpful, especially if you're just dealing with people that are just starting the journey. They're not really necessarily ready to book a demo but they're just trying to learn more about what's out there. And if they can come across that buyer's guide relatively easy in that journey, you've established some goodwill and helped them come to their conclusions a little bit faster and a little bit easier. And so if they ultimately come to you, they view you as a guide. And if you're not the right fit, you're, you are never going to be the right fit, regardless if you showed them your competitors. Because here's the thing, people are going to find your competitors. If they are doing a deep dive in the software, they know how to use Google. They will find them. So you're not giving anything away by naming those, those, those competitors. 100%. Gosh, that's, my brain is going now. I, I love this idea as I'm starting to shift into marketing mode. I, I think I'll steal it. It makes a lot of sense. And I wonder if there's a way to even take it a step further by interviewing customers or potential customers. So basically go out and say, hey, we're putting together the buyer's guide for, in my case, you know, asset inspection software. Tell me about what you consider and what's most important to you. But I'm not coming at them from a, I'm selling you software. I just want to have a discussion and you'll get a copy of the guide ahead of time or something. I think that's a great exercise regardless uh, because you're learning more about what they went through during that buying process. You know, what challenges were they seeing at the time? And this was one of the themes that happened throughout, throughout the conference is it's the jobs to be done concept. What job is the customer trying to solve with your software because your software ultimately does a job and or they're hiring your software to do a job for them. And that job currently could be done by Excel, by email. It doesn't necessarily have to be done by software. Pen and paper could be doing that job for them right now. And so by learning what job they're trying to solve, that's going to give you more insight into the buying process um, for software in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I do love and believe in customer interviews. This is just a unique way to a unique it's angle a different to spin. come at yes. it, and I like I yes. like that. So I I love that concept. I'm gonna it's gonna be one of the big pieces of content that I'm gonna be working on is just this kind of buyer's guide. And naturally, like you said, you can kind of steer it in a certain way, you know, because one of the sections within that buyer's guide is a hundred percent for me is going to be reply to buy concepts. Do you want to give people the ability to buy products directly in text messaging? This might be something that they didn't even know existed. They are, they were told by their boss, go find text messaging. We need to get into text messaging. And so they're looking for different ways to evaluate text messaging software, you know, and in paragraph six or section six, it talks about reply to buy. That's cool. I had no idea that was even a thing. And naturally I'm going to say text retailer provides this. 
And so if that becomes one of their checkboxes, now I've educated them not only about the concept, but I've provided myself as the de facto provider of that, that, that feature. Now, if they don't want it, they're not a good fit for my software anyway. So no harm, no foul. Yeah. yeah. Makes perfect sense. Love it. I know we're, we're getting close to kind of wanting to wrap up here time-wise, but it, yeah. can you give us a kind of a rapid fire? Any other big highlights or other really cool things that cool talks? Yeah, one of the things I'll talk about, and I'm not going to do it justice. I, I will, I will, I don't recall the gentleman's name. I will try to find it and put it into the show notes. But there was a really, really powerful and inspiring story from a CEO or a founder who they sell uh, development for hire. So they're a development agency, but three fourths or half their team is based in the Ukraine and or based in Ukraine. And so he was just talking about the two or three weeks of, you know, since the war started, what him and his team went through and what he did as an entrepreneur to support his team, make sure they're safe, provide them new places to be. And just from a, from a business perspective, what they've gone through in that short amount of time, because they made a commitment to their, their, those employees that they would get paid regardless of their output. And my understanding is it's, it's because it's an agency, it's kind of a billable time type of concept. So they're so paying they're pay these, those contractors, but they're, but not, they have, they're, they're not generating revenue. Yeah. So yeah. instantly their revenue gets cut by like 50, 60%, basically overnight. And so then he has to go out and try to, he was able to shift some work off of kind of more long-term projects and move those individuals to the more immediate billable hours. And that helped a little bit, but then it was also, we have to hire a whole new team to replace those that aren't able to work in Ukraine. And so he was able to do that. And so he found a team in Poland that was able to come in that had relatively same skill set that would that were willing to help out. So now his revenue's cut in half and his expenses had doubled. And how do you save a company? How long can you go for that long? And so then he, him and his partner, they get on the phone and they work every contact that they've ever had. And they managed to double their revenue in like two weeks with like selling projects and things. So I mean, it's just, it was an insane story of just how quickly they solved this problem and just just tackled all these huge ginormous things while still you know trying to maintain the safety and humanity of their their employees and it was just super inspiring and and he's standing up there on stage like we're all entrepreneurs and we can that's what we do is we solve these problems and everyone in this room would be able to do this and i think everyone <laughs> sitting in the tables was just like no, we can't. You've just done something <laughs> outstanding and and uh, just out of this world. And but it, the the good news is, it sounds like not only did he buy a runway for the business, but then all of his team that was based in Ukraine, they were safe. They were able to move to relatively safe locations, and they kind of had a little bit more sense of normalcy. And they were able to come back on work. And just he was really inspired by his. They never asked them to. There was no expectation to, but they just naturally came back and started working because they believed in the mission and the company so much, and to the point where they they have some runway and they 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 view that they'll not only be able to save the company but keep everyone employed. And he made a great point: is by keeping these individuals employed, that's money that's being bought, that's being used for for buying food, and ultimately goes towards the defense of Ukraine. So he's helping in that effort to keep you know, Ukraine safe by just being able to inject money into it. And that was one of the crazy things. At one point, his bank basically said, we cannot send any money to 
Ukraine. We're not doing it anymore out of fear that the Russians would overtake these banks and basically just take all the money and seize the money. And so now he has no way to get his people paid. So not only did he have to hire this whole team, he had to work with another company that that was able to issue virtual cards. And so he could actually pay them in U.S. dollars. I mean, it's just it's insane. The number of problems he's had. It's, yeah. It was it was out of this world, and and I'm not even doing it justice. I mean, that's the thing. This talk was 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and it was just like your jaw just kept dropping and dropping and dropping, and the number of problems that they had to solve, and it was a span of two weeks. It was just, it was just crazy. Wow. Well, that is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it really, <laughs> I, I, I it really put say. things into perspective. I mean, you're just kind right. of like, wow, that's. That's just a whole nother level of problem solving and um, and your heart goes out to obviously everyone in that that situation because it is pretty devastating. And so just to come through that and uh, be able to help from afar and get things done was was pretty amazing. Wow. Well, on that note, I, I hope they post that talk and I hope that they continue to do well and do good it sounds like they're doing both so i think i i get the sense that 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 team is going to be just fine uh with that kind of leadership at the helm so again i i I will get his name and his his story as much as i can uh post in the show notes because i'm pretty excited about it get it out there awesome well great sam you into anything this week or are you just uh just microconf and and maybe some throat tea or something yeah exactly it's it's uh recovery in a good way all around that's all my world is get some sleep catch up i actually will throw something out there for anybody else who's looking to buy a toilet because (laughs) i found myself in april's position several years ago i picked out a toilet and my plumber actually told me no that's a terrible toilet and the reason was there's something called a map map rating yes she talked about this did she talk about this well i didn't know what it was but I had picked out a low map rating, which mm. means basically it is a high probability of clogging. Yes. So shifted my thinking. Didn't know that there was a an apples to apples way to compare at least uh, flushability, I guess you'd call it, on yeah. toilets. Yeah. So if you find yourself in that position, make sure to consider the map rating. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on that note, yes, we will uh, look forward to chatting with you uh, the next time and Hopefully listeners got something out of it. That's the one thing I would say is next microconf is in Denver. I believe it's next April uh, next year. So throw it on your calendars, get there. We'd love to meet you guys in person because it is a ton of fun and uh, well worth the trip. And we just might have a live show there. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, right, Sam, take care until next time. Have a good one.